Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth. For the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Potterburn. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. What's going on, guys? It's the Heel Tough Blog here with you on a Tuesday night. As we sit down and recap, the Tariels getting to 4-0 for the first time in 26 years. That's right. The two guys that you're looking at right here, the last time that this happened, uh, were exactly one year old. And so uh, for Carolina to go on the road and get this done, uh, granted, against a pit team that's not great, um, you know, but still is another power five opponent and to get it done in the fashion that they did, uh, is big for the Tar Heels. So we're going to talk about that. A couple other storylines that we'll talk about at the end of the show, but, uh, yeah, let's, let's jump right into it. Uh, first of all, though, I did want to mention that we did have the ACC basketball schedule release. The schedule is now officially out in full. The conference schedule released tonight. Uh, and, uh, you, our, our guy right here wrote an article about it. Uh, so, you know, just overall, what, what are your initial takeaways, buddy, of the uh, schedule that came out earlier this evening? Uh, 20 and now, um, that's the standard. That's the expectation. Now, um, I gotta tell you, um, uh, I've got some pretty high expectations for the team this year. And I really like Carolina's schedule. Most years I look at it and I'm like, holy crap. This year, I, I don't know if the league office did them some favors after going 11-9 and nine in conference play a year ago and embarrassing themselves on the way to missing the NCAA tournament. I don't know. But this is as good a conference schedule I've looked at in quite some time. And um, it's still going to test Carolina as they will try to build a resume that gets them back into March Madness. Yeah, and look, we'll be on here breaking this down a little bit more uh, in full tomorrow uh, on the basketball side of things. May have a surprise there for you guys on that side of things as well. Um, but I, I think I think you're right, just initially looking at it. Um, I mean, look, it's the ACC, so it's always going to be tough, but it seems like it's relatively balanced uh, throughout. I mean, especially, you know, you look at the end of the season, the, the end of the regular season, for Carolina to have three straight home games before they have to play Duke, and that's sandwiched actually in between a game at Virginia and then the game at Duke at the very end of the season, I think uh, they probably cut Carolina some breaks there, which is nice. Uh, they've needed one, and especially with the out-of-conference schedule that the Tar Heels play. Now, the thing is, is when they first jump into conference play, if they're not in great shape, having to play three straight road games after you uh, or as you jump into the full conference slate, uh, I think, it, you know, can be, you know, a tough ask for the Tar Heels. But 
I really do think that uh, they got set up with a pretty good schedule. We'll break that down in full tomorrow on the podcast. You got an article up on the website. Uh, people can check that out. But uh, we talked about that. Now let's talk about the game that happened on Saturday night for the Tar Heels on the gridiron. And as I mentioned, they get a win on the road against Pittsburgh, 41-24. to this is Mac Brown's first win on the road at Pittsburgh uh, since returning to Chapel Hill. Uh, and this is a big one for the Tar Heels because now they finally get over that hump that we've been talking about uh, for a long, long time. You know, we talked about it uh, two, you know, two of the last three years. Can they get to 4-0, finally break that streak? Well, they do it this year. Uh, and look, this one was not easy. This was a game that did not start the way that Carolina was hoping for at all. Uh, Pittsburgh on the first two drives of the game came out, moved the football down down the field like it was uh, like it was nothing, um, and I think it kind of left the Tar Heels a little bit shocked, to be honest with you. Um, but you know they were able to you know make the adjustments that they needed to something that I think we've sort of had questions about in the past with this program, and now look at where they sit. Uh, you know, they found a way to pull out the victory. They reel off uh, one stretch during the game where they outscore Pittsburgh 31 to three after it was 14 to seven. So uh, a lot of credit needs to be given uh, to the Tar Heels for making adjustments in this one and coming away with the victory on the road in a place where Mac Brown uh, had not fared well so far. I mean, I think the thing you got to like about Saturday's win as much as Maybe even any win this year. Um, they certainly were not at their best. And this was um, another game where um, Carolina left some plays out there to be made. And they were up by three scores in the second half. And when you're down 14-7 on the road, you know, we're kind of sitting there. We hung out, watched the game together. You know, we were asking ourselves, is this Virginia from 2020? Is this Georgia Tech is from 2021? Is this, you know, Georgia Tech from last year? Basically, is Tar Heel football going to Tar Heel football? Um, because we can say what we want. When it was 14 to 7, I think we were all expecting to be let down and disappointed because it didn't look, the team didn't look like they were ready to play. You got to credit the coaching staff for, not allowing that thing to get sideways, but it came down to the players um, and just not allowing an inferior opponent to beat you. And that's what Pittsburgh is this year. Um, and I think that was proven on that 31 to three one where there was, there was some definite separation from how good those, those two teams really are. First time since Pittsburgh was in Chapel Hill a year ago that they gave up more than 40 points in a game. So that's what I liked about it. You know, when you, when you go back to last year, I really hammered the home that, you know, they couldn't put teams away. They couldn't impose their will. They couldn't dictate the way the game was going to be played. Once Carolina settled into the game and they got a they got a rhythm on offense and they made the adjustments they had to make defensively, they controlled and they dictated the way the game was going to be played. That's why they went on a 31 to three scoring run. And that's why by the middle of the third quarter, definitely by the fourth, there was no doubt who the better team was on the football field on Saturday night. Yeah. Look, they get another three possession win. Um, they, they, they have now uh, two of those against power five opponents. They have three double digit wins over power five opponents uh, which is more than they had all of last season. So again, when we talk about the difference between this year and last year, I think it all starts with the style of which they are beating these teams. Remember last year, you know, you could say, well, look, they, they were beating better opponents, maybe, if you believe that. Because look, Minnesota, team that just went on the road this weekend, lost to Northwestern in overtime. Uh, Pittsburgh currently one and three this season. Uh, you, I mean, Carolina does not have a team that uh, is, they have played so far this year that is over 500. They have two teams at 500. Now, granted, uh, the, you know, South Carolina, the two losses are to, of course, Carolina and then Georgia, the number one team in the country. Um, but, I, I mean, I still think that there are people that are looking at that and 
that are saying, you know, they're a little bit concerned with, you know, the fact that Carolina hasn't played great teams. The fact that they're winning these games, though, by double digits early in the season, you know, these are games that, you know, in the past, Carolina, these would be one-score games. And there were opportunities for these games to be one-score games. That's the thing. It wasn't like Carolina ran away with these games. It wasn't like, you know, the other night. One like they jumped out to a great start. They had to weather the storm early, respond, and then find a way to pull away. And then once they established a lead, they were comfortable. Um, you know, I, I think that was – they were able to sort of, you know, take care of the clock and try to get out of there. And that's the thing that a lot of people – are saying they, they there's a lot of frustration. They think that uh, you know Carolina could have won these games by more points, and I agree with that. But a lot of people, you know, looking back at uh, in particular this game and the South Carolina game, a lot of people are pointing to the play calling and complaining about what we saw down the stretch. You know, many people concerned that Chip Lindsey, uh, frankly, is is not doing the right things that he needs to do concerned about him overall as an offensive coordinator. I just, to me, I I just think that's, that's a weird mindset to take towards all this. Um, I know there's, you know, frustration saying, look, we should be able to move the sticks a little bit easier. The fact that you're running the football and it's not really producing anything, maybe you should go away from it. But here's the thing, the bet, people are saying throw the ball more because look, the clock still ticks. I get that. But the problem is, is that yes, while the clock still ticks, it's not a guarantee that you're going to complete these passes. Um, You know, Drake may was in a pretty solid rhythm the majority of the night, but the goal, especially when you get to that point of the game is to take the time off the clock. The best way to do that is by running the ball and to me, I think the P, the, you should be more upset with the lack of execution, mainly from your offensive line, um, than you should be with, with Chip Lindsey. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, I think I think what you're seeing late in games is just what you see in modern football where these teams and these coaches, when they build these types of leads – they just take their foot off the gas and they're not as crisp and they're not as aware of what's going on. And I think that's a big reason why um, you see so many comebacks happen. Um, And, and, you know, I I think the frustration with the Chip Lindsey play calling is people want to see Drake throw for three, 400 yards, four or five touchdowns and, Mm -hmm. and build a Heisman trophy resume. Well, we, we told you all all offseason, the only way he's even a legitimate Heisman contender is if the team's in playoff contention. The only way that happens is to win games. Um, they're 4-0. Um, you, you know, he's putting up good numbers to where the, the touchdowns, I think, are going to come. And, you know, if Carolina is playing meaningful football in November, they're in that playoff discussion, which – is wide open right now. There's a pathway where you could see Carolina maybe playing themselves into that conversation. Then I think Drake May's name will reappear in the Heisman conversation. But that's that's secondary. The most important thing is winning. Well, no matter how you do it, whether you got to run the ball 67,000 times or you got to throw it 47,000 times. And so um, I, 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 I'm not frustrated with the play calling itself, more frustrated with the execution. And it's really the fact that they're really just coaching. It's almost like they're coaching scared. They're coaching not to get hurt. They're coach, which is there's nothing wrong with that. We can't afford any more injuries, but um, this offense is averaging 36 points per game. They've moved the ball when they've needed to. They've scored the ball when they've needed to. And, and for a guy that was very critical of the hire of Chip Lindsay, through four games, I don't have a whole lot to complain about. Yeah, I mean, that's my thing. I, and and I think you also have to sort of look at the circumstances that Carolina's dealing with in these games. I mean, this one, you know, you get into the second half of this game, and, I mean, we can both agree, right? That team wasn't moving the football on Carolina. They, they put in their backup quarterback. 
I, I thought one of the things that I was worried about going into the game was if they put in the backup quarterback that Carolina could potentially be thrown off like they were last year. They were not moving the ball on Carolina's defense. They simply couldn't. Their quarterback wasn't good enough. So I think you trusted your defense in this one. And also, I think it was part of it. Part of it was it was a challenge to your offensive line. Hey, you need to step the hell up. And they didn't. So now you've got to have hard conversations here over the bye week of, hey, what are we doing wrong? Clearly, you need Willie Lampkin back in there. I mean, look, I think Ed Montalus has done some good things in pass protection. I wouldn't be against Ed Montalus being looked at over at right guard because William Barnes has just frankly uh, struggled the last two games at right guard. Uh, after moving from left tackle, but I wouldn't change that that move at this point because I think Diego Pounds has been really, really good. So um, I, I think, you know, you need your offensive line to step up. That's that's There's no doubt about that. Then I also think, um, you know, for, for Carolina, I, I think, I, you know, you go back to the first game, I, I think that was just the conservative play calling there because they turned the ball over twice. But my thing is, is again, you go back to both of those games and how many points did they give up after they went into that conservative mindset? Three combined between the two games. And I mean, really, if, if you're if you're talking about when they went fully conservative, they gave up the touchdown against South Carolina off of the second interception. So really, they have given up no points after that. So the strategy is working out. And the thing is, is that, Guys, if this game gets close, if these games get closer, the play calling will change. I know it's it's one game. I know people will say, look, it was late. They had they they had no choice. I thought the play calling down the stretch against App State to set them up with a chance to win the game in regulation was tremendous. Like I don't think you could really ask for much more than that. So at some point, you you just got to trust the group that's here. I think Chip Lindsay, I'm with you. You know, Carolina, how efficient they've been so far uh, this season has been amazing in the red zone. Because, look, even, you know, the start of last year, the offense was off to a pretty good start. They, um, you know, they, they, they were scoring when they needed to in the red zone. But that faded down the stretch of the season. Tariel Illustrated tweeted this out earlier today. Carolina 17 of 19 in the red zone so far this year, 14 of those have been touchdowns. So incredibly efficient when they're getting there and they're scoring the way that they need to by putting six on the board when they get in the red zone. So I, I to me, you cannot be frustrated with what you're seeing right now from Chip Lindsay. That should be really the least of your concerns. And when it comes to Drake, you're right. I said it when we were talking about his Heisman chances before the season. Guys, if he wants to win the Heisman, his team has to be able to win games. So he's he needs to do whatever it takes for them to win games. I thought the other night that that was a high that that was a Heisman trophy like game from him. That's one that's going to keep him in the conversation. 296 yards passing is good, but you got to look at it. He did that on 22 completions in the game. Early in the game, I mean, was just hitting everything deep down the field. Um, so, I, I mean, that I, I think, you know, there was that wow factor. Clearly the touchdown pass with the left hand is going to be talked about a lot. Um, so I think, you know, there, there's a lot there to like about him. And he found the end zone three times. You know, I, I think at this point, I mean, where do you stand on, on Drake after this game? I thought, you know, he may not have been the best player on the field. We'll talk about that guy here in just a minute. But I thought this was his best performance of the season so far when you combine. I know he threw for 414 in the last game, but when you factor in the two turnovers, I really thought this was his com most complete performance of the year to this point, and he is one of the main reasons Carolina won this game. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that it was a clean game for him. You know, I, I, I said going in, if we see a multiple turnover performance from him, we're going to have to have an honest conversation. Right now, you've played four games. You've thrown four picks, but they've come in two games. Uh, he wasn't the best player on the field the other night, but I think he was the most impactful because he he controlled the game like, the, like a quarterback is supposed to. He really just dictated the defense and – 
you know, the passing was there on all three levels, the short, intermediate, and the deep ball. It was all there for him. He used his legs to, you know, extend plays. And and, and so you got you to gotta like that. So I, I, I took it from, you know, Minnesota was his most air-dominant performance, but I thought this game was his most complete performance. It was this to me was the best he has looked all year long. And you shouldn't be surprised because he's more comfortable with the guys he's throwing to because he knows he's got a Nate McCollum. He knows he's got a Kobe Pesor. JJ Jones, a guy we're going to talk about, continuing to emerge. And we said all along that once he trusted the wide receivers more, you would see the dude that that wowed us all last year really come back to the fold or come back to the fold in, in, in a really big way. So um, you know, look, right now he's his name is still in the Heisman discussion. Um, and look, a lot of this is out of his own doing. Like you look at what the quarterbacks in the Pac-12 are doing, it's 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 understandable why Caleb Williams is still the front runner because he's even better than he was a year ago. And then two quarterbacks that most people on the East Coast don't know a lot about, Michael Penix Jr. at Washington, and then Cam Ward at Washington State, they're putting up video game type numbers, like the type mm-hmm. of numbers that Drake was having to put up last year because we couldn't stop anybody. Well, guess what? We we don't need him to throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns every single week. So the number the production is going to be slightly different, but you're undefeated. And you've got a schedule that's going to give you Heisman type of moments coming up. An undefeated Syracuse could be in your town, come be in your stadium in two weeks. An undefeated Miami could be in your stadium in three weeks. If Duke beats Notre Dame this week, they could be undefeated when they come to Chapel Hill in November. And you still got to go to Clemson, which no matter what their record is, unless they're a 500 team, that's a Heisman moment type of game for Drake May. So he's doing what he needs to do to both, A, help Carolina win games, which is most important, but also, B, keep his name in the running for the most prestigious award in college athletics. Yeah, and I mean, look, you bring up some great points. Um, you know, Skyler says, Thank look, you. there's a, there's ACC teams uh, that are undefeated. Yeah, you're right. I mean, look, I, I think and we'll have to see. We'll have to see with Syracuse because they, they're we're going to learn a lot about Syracuse here, um, you know, it, in the next three weeks that, that they play because they have Clemson, then Carolina, and then they play, uh, I believe it's at Florida State as well. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, we'll learn a lot about them. Miami, I'm with you. I would be shocked if that team doesn't end up coming in here undefeated. That team's playing really, really well right now. Uh, that'll be a big test. That'll be one that, interestingly enough, we already will probably be talking about what that means for the ACC title uh, contention or ACC title race, I should say, um, at that time. I, I really do think that's going to be one of those types of games uh, at this point. And then, yeah, you mentioned Duke. Um, you know, that, that'll clearly be a chance, uh, I think, regardless uh, for Carolina to – because uh, I, I still think by that point, I mean, unless just Duke completely falls apart, um, which I don't see that happening right now, that will that that will mean something um, in the in the race for the ACC. Um, so, I, I mean, you got and, and then road games at the end of the year. I mean, look, we, we've seen, you know, Carolina always seems to play classic games against NC State, whether it works out well for them, works against them. And then you got to go on the road to Clemson. There's no in the background right there. That's <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, so there's so many opportunities. You mentioned the Pac-12 quarterbacks. Here's the thing about them. You mentioned all those different guys. Somebody's got to lose all these games that they're going to have to play against each other. So they're kind of going to tear each other down as they go throughout the year. If Drake can sort of stay the course, I think he's going to be perfectly fine. And you mentioned one of the big things that he has now. You're starting to see him get a little more help. One, I think you saw in this game, John Copenhaver returns from the injury, contributes in a pretty big way, two catches, 53 yards, including a 40-yard pass uh, on what was an important drive for Carolina when they drove down to uh, tie the game at 14. They don't tie the game on that drive. You really wonder uh, how the game ends up actually looking. So uh, that was, of course, on that on that nice double reverse uh double reverse flea flicker, I guess you would call it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I like the creativity on that play. 
But I like the fact that you're seeing John Copenhaver uh, be a guy that, you know, can contribute, hopefully, you know, moving forward the way that we thought he was going to now that the hand should have time to heal up fully. And then J.J. Jones, you, you mentioned how he is starting to break out here. Uh, he was tremendous in this game. Six catches, 177 yards. Um, and, and you look at it really over this last stretch of games, the last three games, he's Carolina's leading receiver when you add all those games together. 14 catches, 272 yards. Now, the one thing he hasn't been able to do yet is find the end zone. That's something that he's definitely going to have to uh, do a little more of moving forward for Carolina if they want him to become that complete receiver on the outside. But that was the thing that was lacking early for the, this this group, uh, you know, especially, you know, first game and towards the end of last year was they didn't have that consistent threat on the outside when Antoine Green wasn't available. It feels like you know, it took it, it. It only took a couple of games, but uh, to me, it looks like JJ Jones is starting to emerge as that guy on the outside. And look, he he has that nice mixture. I thought the other night was a great example of what you want to see from him moving forward. He hit the big play on the fifty-two yarder. He had a few other ones, uh, four catches of four uh, of fifteen or more yards on the night. But also, when Carolina needed him in that intermediate passing game. He really was able to go to work there as well. So I think this is a guy moving forward that we're going to have to, we're going to be talking a lot about in this passing game. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's, he's proven and shown the ability the last couple of weeks to beat defenses over the top for big plays. And then he's that possession receiver. When you need a 12, 15 yard reception, he's the type of guy that you can get the football to. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say I saw this emergence coming because, you know, we've been waiting for it to all come together for him. But, you, you know, we always knew the talent was there. It was just a matter of that talent really coming, you know, to, to, to fruition on the football field. And, you know, now that Drake has that confidence and that trust in him, I think you're going to see him emerge and, and really become a guy that is going to be tough for, these ACC defensive backs to really uh, handle. And now Carolina's got, you know, three dudes in that receiver game that you feel strong about and Jones, Pesor, and of course, Nate McCollum. And uh, with a guy like Drake May, you, you know, that's, and we didn't even mention the tight ends that we, we really like Copenhaver and Bryson Nesbitt's a mismatch problem waiting to happen. With a guy like Drake May that likes to spread the ball around it's going to make Carolina's passing game all the more lethal. And so, um, you know, credit to the staff for being patient and allowing that guy to emerge on the outside um, and, and not kind of overreacting and enforcing stuff that didn't need to be forced. And, you, you know, I think I think you got to feel about as good as, as you can about this wide receiver room, uh, considering there's no Tez Walker. You had to figure out a way to replace the production of a Josh Downs and an Antoine Green. I think through four games, they've done it admirably. And, um, you know, the talent and the depth in that room continues to show up every week on the football field. Yeah. And, you, and, and talk, you know, you talked about Pesor there, him moving to the outside now. I thought the other night he looked pretty good out there. Three catches, 39 yards. So he's starting to settle in a little bit on the outside. Uh, now that you've got J.J. Jones as a guy that you can rely on, you feel really good about your tight ends. I, I think this is this is something that you can continue to build on. And, and honestly, like I know we we were talking about, you know, this was something where, where guys needed to step up. Um, I think the reason we really were talking about that so much was because we knew this would happen at some point. Um, I I trusted this passing game. We've seen it time and time again under Mac Brown um, that they have found ways to develop receivers and and do so relatively quickly. In 2021, it took a little bit of time, but I think when you look at this group, you, you just felt like somebody would emerge quickly. Credit to the staff for sticking with JJ Jones last year making him a full-time starter. I mean, he started all 14 games a year ago, and you can tell that that is really paying off this year. Now, you know, you're seeing him start to break out where if they had bailed on him at any point last year, if they bailed on him early this year, 
I don't know if he would be a guy that would be at the spot that he's at right now to be able to help you. So a lot of credit needs to be given to Carolina for uh, to, to the staff for, for sticking with him and giving him this opportunity. And now I think it's going to pay off in a big way. Go over to the defensive side of the ball uh, and, and also special teams as well. How, how is it taking us this long to talk about the guy that was the best player on the field the other night? Elijah Huzzy uh, just went off in this game. He has two key punt returns. Uh, the first one that sets up uh, that touchdown drive that I talked about just a minute ago that tied the game at 14. Well, then they punt. Then they uh, force Pittsburgh to punt on the very next drive after they score the touchdown. They kick it back to uh, Elijah Huzzy, another long punt that he's able to field, and he takes it to the house 52 yards for uh, a punt return touchdown that I think really turned the game. From that point, that was really where Carolina started to take over. Until then, it looked like Carolina was going to be in a back-and-forth affair with Pittsburgh, um, which was you know something we were hoping to avoid against a lesser opponent. I think that really turned the night. And then when you go to the second half, he has not one but two interceptions. Uh, and, and also, you know, earlier in the game, you go back, uh, earlier in the game, right after his punt return touchdown, he has a nice third down pass breakup that was huge, held Pittsburgh to a field goal after Pittsburgh had driven down the field with a chance to tie the game back up to sort of keep that back and forth nature of the game that was already going. So I, I think multiple times you saw him change momentum in this game. I think you saw, you know, he he did he had a really good night in coverage, only allowed one of the five targets uh, that were thrown his way uh, to be caught. Um, and, you know, to pull down the two interceptions, you're starting to see the playmaking ability. So all around, I thought this was just a, a tremendous game for him. And honestly, I mean, it, it might rank up there with the first game of the season, the performance that we saw from Cayman Rucker uh, as the best performance that we've seen from Atario so far this year. Yeah, I mean, he he continues to validate and justify why he was brought in um, and continues to prove me wrong for not buying in from the word go because he was an FCS transfer. And you you saw the reasons why Mac Brown has harped on the special team since he got here because look how much it made an impact in the game. You know, the, the return to give Carolina a short field. I mean, field position, even in today's football, where teams can kind of move the ball up and down the field rather easily and you see points left and right. It's a lot easier to do when you got to go 50 yards as opposed to, you know, the full 75, 80. And you saw that on display. And the defense gets a quick three and out. And then he, he takes one back to the house. And all of a sudden, you've turned a 14-7 deficit into a 21-14 lead. Pittsburgh doesn't recover. And you're on your way to a comfortable win. Then you talk about the, the plays he made. Forcing the turnover, is that something that this defense uh, said all? I mean, the messaging coming out from the staff all offseason was they were confident they were going to be better, and they emphasized the need to force more turnovers. And they're starting they're starting to get there. I mean, you got a crucial one um, in the App State win. You got one in the Minnesota game. You got two against Pittsburgh that really lets you just take control and seize uh, and seize control of the game, and those plays weren't happening a year ago, and that's that's the difference, and that's what you got to do to go from good to great. The margin that Carolina has to improve isn't overly significant. It was really just the little things and maybe finishing plays that they didn't finish a year ago. They're making those plays now in all three phases. And, like, here's the thing. They even gave up a kickoff return for a touchdown, and we're still happy with what they did as a special teams unit. And, and I, I think that speaks volumes because there aren't many teams that go on the road and give up a, a kickoff return for a touchdown and win. I mean, I, I don't have the math in front of me, but I would, I would bet you more often than not. I'll work on that. Work on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure those teams loses those those types of games, and so right, um, you know that's the thing um, that, and that's why I said going in, this is why I believed more in this three and zero start than any other three and zero start I've seen uh, in my lifetime, and 
Um, I came away with that going 4-0 for the first time since I was one, validated in my belief that this team is in the pro- is in the pro- process of taking those steps to go from good to great. Yeah, look, don't get it wrong. The kick return coverage has to get better. That That's something that's been a challenge. Even before they gave up that kick return the other night, it, it felt like it was coming. They gave up a lot of return yards on the returns that they allowed to South Carolina, to App State. Um, when, when teams have been able to return the football, they have found space, and they found it the other night. Um, that was you, – you talk about why Carolina wasn't able to put away the game. Carolina had just gone on top by 21. They, they were three touchdowns clear. It felt like, all right, you know, if they get the ball back, I mean, they could have really put, even if it's 41 to 17, that is a huge difference. I mean, still, you know, it's it, at, at the end of the day, it didn't really cost Carolina that much, but you don't really know what that's going to do. We've seen in the past that even, you know, the littlest thing can turn momentum, something like that, you – I mean, I'm not going to lie. There was a moment where I was a little concerned that, oh, no, could this be what turns the momentum of this game? So they've got to get that figured out because later in the year when you're playing those opponents that we talked about that are going to be much tougher, allowing a kick return could be the difference in the game. So they they have to get that figured out. Um, But I'll say this about the special teams as well. Noah Burnett had another good night. Two kicks of over 40 yards. Uh, both of them, I'm not going to say they're pressure packed, but, you know, for Carolina, those were important to sort of extend the lead. Uh, you got to give him a lot of credit. He is, he, he's definitely showing that he's gotten a second opportunity and that it's worth Carolina sticking with him. We don't know what's going to happen with Ryan Coe. I, I will say this. Um, I'm not saying that there isn't an injury there because I don't know. I do find it Sort of interesting, though, that that injury pops up after it, it looks – I mean, it looks like maybe the staff was moving to Noah Burnett and that injury pops up. But, I, I mean, there's no telling at this point. We'll just have to wait and see. But I will say this. I don't think even if he is healthy, they are going back to him until Noah Burnett gives them a reason to um, with what he's shown in these last couple of games. Now – you go and and look at the defensive side of the ball, and I talked about how they adjusted because early in the game, um, and I still think, you know, I, I know they were much better towards the end of the game. I still think this rushing attack uh, or this rushing defense, excuse me, uh, going up against that rushing attack of Pittsburgh that was solid. They had a lot of different guys that had carried the ball. We knew that would be tough, the rotation of backs. They didn't really rotate backs. They used one guy the entire night, really, uh, in, in that backfield, in Rodney Hammond Jr. Uh, and look, early in the game, he was, I, I mean, he was killing Carolina. They allowed 151 total yards on the first two drives of the game, 97 of which came on the ground. Now, they did make the adjustment. They allowed just 156 yards the rest of the night and just 13 on the ground. Now, part of that was because there were two huge sacks uh, by Cayman Rucker, one that uh, was a loss of 21 yards and another one that was a loss of 15. That sort of helped that out a little bit. But, you know, Carolina, I, I, I still feel like the run defense is the one area that we are looking for this group to improve. A lot of credit needs to be given to the, the, the run defense and the defense as a whole for just adjusting and finding a way to slow down this offense after the start they got off to. But I still feel like they have to find a way to get more push up front on rundowns. They've got to do a better job of sealing the edge because all of those issues popped up once again in this game on Saturday. Yeah, I, I... I think I've just come to the conclusion um, we're never going to be a great run defensive team. Um, but what you got to be able to do is when you need to make plays in the run game, you got to be able to make it. And I think they're making more of those plays this year. And they're they're forcing teams to have to throw the ball more often on second and third down, which is a good thing with the way this secondary has played um, really since the App State game. You know, they've, they've played really well, and they've, they've made a difference. And so um, 
you know, the, the worst thing we said it from the word go was they put up that type of performance in week one. We've come to learn that uh, South Carolina doesn't have a running game. They don't have a average offensive line in the SEC. And so a lot of those numbers are inflated. But I still think overall it looks better um, because I was fully prepared to see Minnesota come in and want to run it 40, 45 times at Carolina. And that wasn't the case. I was fully prepared for uh, Pittsburgh to want to come in and run it 40 to 45 times. And that wasn't the case. And Carolina made them have to throw the ball. And, you know, you're, you're, you, you, you saw that those guys don't have the type of uh, arms to beat you. I think we're going to learn a lot about the running defense coming up with the way Syracuse runs their offense. I know Garrett Schrader's a mobile quarterback. Um, he yeah. can use his legs. Yes, he is. You know, um, Miami's offense looks to be explosive and dynamic. We're going to really learn if Carolina can be adequate enough defensively in the run game. Um, I like to think that they are because they're making – the defensive line is filling the gaps a lot better to let your two linebackers fill them and make the tackles. That's the biggest difference. Last year, those guys were getting blocked into Eccles and Gray. That's not happening this year. Even if they're not necessarily winning up front, they're not losing up front as much, and it's allowing your two linebackers to get where they need to get to to make the plays. And like I said, that margin for error, it's not very big. It's the little things. And, you know, two-yard runs are better than four-yard runs, and I think we're seeing that with Carolina this year, that third and six, third and five. And past years was a running down. Teams teams would run it on you. This Mm -hmm. year you got to throw it, and – this year you've got a defense that can hold its own in the passing game. Yeah, no, you're right, and we saw it again the other night. And and look, Pittsburgh's passing game is not good. I know early in the game, Phil Dracovic was doing some things, getting the ball out quickly. He was doing a good job of spreading the ball around. I still think that's ultimately because I he, he's not a terrible quarterback. I know he's not off to a great start. You saw when Christian Valer came into the game, he wasn't able to do anything. Now, I thought their game plan on, on Pittsburgh's side of things was just horrendous. I, I, I mean, their game plan in the second half made no sense. Their quarterback wasn't completing plays, so we're just going to throw deep balls down the field. Now, I mean, whatever. I appreciate it. Um, and I think that part of it is because Carolina is, is just covering so well. Um, you've seen it throughout the year. And, and that's the frustrating part with this defense because it really feels like if they could sh- sort of shore things up just a little bit, in the run defense. We're not saying that they got to be great, but if you can allow 120 rushing yards a game, somewhere in that range, 120 to 130, I think you'd feel all right. They ended up allowing less than that in this game, but a lot of that was because of the sacks that they had in this game. And, and I think at one point, you know, Pittsburgh pretty much just abandoned the run completely. You're going to see teams, and Garrett Schrader, I think that's the perfect guy to bring. That's going to be a huge test because, look, you saw a little bit of mobility the other night from Jakovic, bothered Carolina a little bit early in the game, and then they were able to sort of slow it down a little bit as they got later on um, in in that first half. And then Valer just – and he had one big run himself, but I I think they kind of went away from it. So it's hard to tell. That's going to be a real test because if – you know, it's tough enough for them to stop just running backs. We saw that against uh, Minnesota and against App State. Now you're going to bring the quarterback into it, and you'll be facing that a little bit down the stretch. So uh, th- this this group has to find a way um, to, to sort of shore things up because this pass defense deserves it. You know, they, they got after the quarterback, I thought, again the other night pretty well um I know it's you know not gonna it's it's not like that first game of the year which it seems like everybody after that first game of the year that just became the expectation I mean look came in Rucker two more sacks the other night five quarterback pressures I thought he was fantastic Des Evans continues to play well um and I think you're seeing you know even some of the guys that are rotating in especially off the edge um they are really doing a great job of getting pressure to me it all starts on the interior of that line like we talked about um, when we were previewing this game. They need to start winning more up front, and it's not just in the running game. It's in the passing game uh, as well. They had three of the 15 pressures that Carolina had the other night uh, from the interior of that group, and two of them came from Miles Murphy. So you're just not seeing a lot coming from that area, 
credit to the edge rushers for really picking Carolina up there. Um, but they need to be better themselves and run defense upholding that edge. They just haven't done a great job of that. They've been washed out of their way too often. So some big tests coming up for Carolina, and we're going to learn a lot about that, uh, that, that run defense in that one. The other thing that we're going to learn a lot about is the offensive line. You know, they continued to struggle, at least in run blocking the other night, uh, ran for just 77 yards on 39 carries. That's just two point, uh, a little over 2.0 yards per carry. Uh, Amorian Hampton, uh, look, he was able to make plays when needed, but there really just wasn't enough room for him. I mean, he scored yet again. I mean, with the start to the season uh, that he is having uh, is really unbelievable for Carolina on the ground, considering that he uh, is splitting time with, British Brooks. He didn't start the first game of the year yet. He has 383 yards rushing and seven touchdowns already so far this year. But a lot of what you've seen here these last uh, two games is him really just having to do things on his own. British Brooks having to do things on his own. You don't have Willie Lampkin. That's a big part of it. And getting him back, hopefully after the bye week, uh, will will be huge for Carolina. But you need these other guys as well to step up and, and, and really start run blocking a little bit better than they have in the last two games. Because, look, first two games of the year, you didn't play the most physical defensive fronts. That's probably part of the reason you were able to have success. The last two, you faced more physical teams, and you've seen the difference. So it's on these guys. It's on Randy Clements to get these guys ready because they're going to have to be able to run the football coming up with some of these games that they're going to have in conference play. Yeah, no, you're 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 not wrong, um, and you know I think that's gonna be that's gonna be the test, and I think we're gonna really find out just how just how much improved this defense really is. Um, I, I I think it's there. Um, I think they've proven they can do it. They they're giving up 22 points per game through four games. If that that number holds, it's it's gonna be hard for Carolina, I think, to lose more often than not because that's a good number. Um, and, and, and so we're going to really find out, you know, where, where they are, um, because as, as they, uh, as they face more explosive offenses and, um, it, it's going to be fun to watch, uh, as they move down the stretch. Okay. Now, what about your thoughts on the offensive line, which is what I was talking about right there and their, uh, struggles in run blocking? Yeah. Um, uh, sorry. I got distracted by, uh. A lady, right? Is this is this No, it's 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 actually your tank top, which is getting rave reviews on Twitter. Oh beautiful. Um, you know, people are, are losing their minds. I didn't realize we were beaching for this podcast. Um I would have brought out my my tank top. I, I took the Pat McAfee approach to this podcast. I said, look, if he can rock the tank, I can rock the tank as well. Um, also, I just completely forgot. I was scrambling because I was getting a, uh, my TV set up. I got a new television. And so I was getting my TV set up. I had thrown this on. And then I realized as I was getting the TV set up, okay, we got like five minutes until the show starts. And I did not have time to throw on a different shirt. So I just said, screw it. I'll roll with it. Um, you know, we're off to a 4-0 start. So why not bring the guns out for this one? But uh yeah, I mean, I was just saying, you know, offensive line-wise, you know, I think without Lampkin, they've really struggled to run the football. And I think that's something they're going to have to do a lot better job of when they get into conference play of being more consistent with it. Look, first two games, they ran it really well. But then, you know, as, as we've gone throughout the last couple, you know, against physical fronts, they, they've really struggled. And you're going to face a lot of physical fronts down the stretch in the ACC. So in order to do that, you need these guys to really be able to win up front. I don't know. I mean, I think Miami will challenge them. I think when you got to go to Clemson and NC State, they'll challenge them. I think they'll be able to run it on Syracuse. Duke I think will you, I think challenge you, I think them you, too. Duke, Duke's a lot better up front than a lot than, than people want to admit. Yeah, but I think if you go back and you watch the Clemson tape, if Clemson doesn't fumble the ball, they ran all over Duke in that second half. They just fumbled the ball away. Um, I think Carolina can move Duke around up front too. So I think that's part of it where you you played two defensive lines the past couple weeks that are as big and physical as you're going to face all year long. Um, 
because there were questions about the passing game, they wanted to make Carolina one-dimensional and make Drake May throw it. Um, and they learned the hard way. It's, it's still not the, the smart thing to do. So there's no denying they miss Willie Lampkin. Um, but I think you also got to credit Chip Lindsey for not abandoning the run game because you look at how mm-hmm. uh, little Carolina has ran the ball or how little success they've had. And I know they threw it a lot against Minnesota. But, like, Phil Longo would have said, the heck with it. I mean, we're going air, ram, but we're going to throw this thing 65 times. I know Drake threw a little bit over 40, but it wasn't like they just quit trying to run the ball. This past week, you know, you get up three scores. I didn't really mind the ball. I didn't really mind run the ball. You're going to take two minutes off the clock, punt it, go force a three and out, let's do it again. Because we knew Pittsburgh's offense wasn't going to move it. So, um, I, I think if they don't, if they come off the bye and the run, the run game is still iffy, okay, maybe we have a more serious conversation. But the way this team l- lined up and ran it at, for, at will at times against South Carolina and App State, I think that's more of who they are and who they will be as they make their way through the ACC season. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're right. And I think a lot, a lot of it goes into the fact they have not been at full strength here. Um, I know, you know, that was an, another guy, you know, and 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 rightfully so. You, you were concerned about Willie Lampkin coming up from the group of five level to the power five level. I think he's another guy, though, that you saw it in those first two games of the season. That dude's impact, especially in run blocking, is monumental for this team. And, I mean, it's, it's no coincidence that they ran for – that they had their two best running nights when he was in there. So getting him back and and look, I don't know if he is going to be back when they come back from the bye. I just to me it seems like if he was if that was a longer term injury, they did it with Legend Cavazos and RJ Grigsby when they got hurt. They gave you a timetable. They said, "Look, guys are going to be out." With him, they said they were going to monitor him. I don't know if they felt like, "Hey, we can win this game the other night without Lampkin." So let's rest him up. Let's give him that bye week and make sure he's he's as close to 100% as he can be when he comes back. Um, but whatever the strategy was, you know, it still worked out for Carolina, and hopefully he will be back. If he's back, I really do think Carolina will be able to run the ball successfully. And, yeah, I think you're right. I think there are going to be some matchups that might be a little bit easier. Minnesota, I think, is an extremely physical front. They play in the Big Ten, so it shouldn't really shock anybody. And then Pittsburgh has always been a physical front. Um, now, the thing that that was that, that you probably wanted to see Carolina be able to do was move it a little bit when you had so many different defensive linemen that kept going down for them, but it had to come off the field because of cramps. Uh, but Carolina wasn't able to do that. But, yeah, I, I think we'll learn about that group, I think, a, a lot in those first that, that first game or two coming out of the bye week. If this is still something that's going to be a concern moving forward, we'll see it. Um, But the other thing that's, you know, the good news is, is that if the offensive line, look, if this is a running game that they just simply cannot run the football moving forward, um, they do have an offensive line that's pass protecting really, really well. I know Drake Bay was sacked five times the other night. PFF credits three of those to the offensive line. Um, it can't be taken that many sacks. We've seen that a couple of times so far this year. But the thing is, even though they're allowing some sacks, the good thing and the thing they can build on is that they aren't allowing a ton of pressure outside of that. So, you know, they're 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 cutting down on the pressure numbers. It's just hopefully they can cut down on the sack numbers as well. Um, they've also done a much better job of preventing tackles for loss. So even though they're not gaining a lot of yards in the running game last year, and they were one of the worst teams in the entire country in terms of tackles for loss this year, that is not the case. So uh, you do have to give them some credit down there. Randy Clements is getting those guys to play. Now, in terms of some of the notes that come out of the uh, week, the Tar Heels do move up to number 15 in the AP poll. Um, they continue their climb, and this is what's going to happen as long as they continue to win. And you look around them, uh, there are four uh, other ranked teams in the ACC, so uh, or three other ranked teams in the ACC, four total. Uh, so Carolina, look, they're, they're going to have opportunities on their schedule to pick up 
big wins in conference play. Uh, you'd imagine, you know, along the way, the conference just as a whole is going to continue to see uh, other teams climb. I mean, Florida State, I know they've still got some tough tests on their schedule, but getting past Clemson was big for them. They're going to be right in uh, the national title hunt this year. Uh, Louisville could get ranked at some point. Carolina does not play them, but Louisville could get ranked at some point. And then, of course, uh, you know, Carolina does have Duke that is ranked on the schedule, Miami that's ranked on the schedule. So a lot of big opportunities. I mean, Syracuse, you look at them, if they beat Clemson this weekend, hosting Clemson, uh, historically they've played Clemson very, very well. And that was when Clemson was good uh, or, or national title good, I should say. Um, they, they will have a good opportunity, I think, in this one uh, to beat Clemson to get themselves ranked. So Carolina could have, uh, you know, the next two games could be ranked. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the one after that against Virginia will not be ranked, uh, but it could be two straight ranked games for Carolina uh, when they get back uh, on the field at home uh, when they face Syracuse and Miami. So opportunities uh, there for the Tar Heels. Meanwhile, uh, the players of uh, two players that were named to the ACC team of the week came in Rucker and Elijah Hussey came in Rucker, of course, the ACC Defensive Lineman of the Week. Elijah Hussey gets ACC Defensive Back of the Week. Uh, Hussey also uh, was named uh, the team's Defensive Player of the Game, as well as the Special Teams Player of the Game. So uh, really shows you how complete of a performance uh, that he had and uh, what a year it's been for him so far this year, uh, allowing just a 22.2 quarterback rating. So uh, both both of those guys right there could be guys that could be looking at more uh, than just all ACC consideration at the end of the year if they continue to play the way that they are. A uh, couple other storylines, you know, a lot of people uh, worked up yesterday on social media about uh, Minnesota defensive back Craig McDonald being approved by the NCAA uh, with his waiver, Tez Walker, of course ineligible for this season. I uh, really, at this point, it doesn't make any sense, but here's my explanation. It's the NCAA. I think Carolina at this point, uh, they're looking, you know, probably behind the scenes. I've had, uh, you know, there was somebody that told me today that there are, they, they are still doing uh, their homework uh, behind the scenes to try to uh, sort of iron everything out uh, and, and potentially look at taking legal action uh, but as of this moment, there is nothing that is uh, that is pending that's on the table. So uh, they're still going to wait that out. We'll have to wait and see. Um, and, and, you know, the other big storyline for Carolina at this point uh, on the football side of things uh, is that in the 2024 recruiting cycle, we told you on the last edition of the podcast that uh, three-star defensive lineman Leroy Jackson, a guy that the team had just offered – uh, you know, he, he was, uh, you know, now probably has the most significant offer uh, that he's had to this point. He told Inside Carolina's Don Callahan earlier this week that he is working on getting on campus for an official visit. You'd imagine somewhere during this stretch of three straight home games, he might be able to get himself on campus. So look for that block to be the area that Carolina gets what might be their final target in the 2024 class on campus. So guys, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. I want to thank everybody uh, that uh, stopped in and, and uh, watched tonight. Uh, everybody that uh, is going to go back and listen on the podcast side of things. Shout out uh, to our guy, Sean, who was on here again tonight. Uh, always love seeing him show up and say what's up. Uh, Walker Jackson, uh, love the comments, buddy. Really appreciate you uh, watching and, and uh, glad you enjoyed the show. And uh, of course, you're a guy that enjoys a lot of the articles as well. So we really appreciate that. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, that is going to wrap it up for this edition. Uh, make sure you head over to the website, heeltoughblog.com. We got the recap of the game against Pittsburgh. My biggest takeaways from that win. We've got the stock report, who's trending up, who's trending down as we head into the bye week. Uh, and then uh, we are going to be having you covered here uh, throughout the bye week, Mac Brown did not have a presser on Monday, so no updates on injuries, no updates on stuff going on around the team. I will say the timing of this bye is very interesting. Um, thinking about it, you know, the other day, if you look at it, Carolina's bye lines up perfectly with the amount of games that you have to play 
in a season before you can redshirt four. So I would imagine if there are going to be some guys entering the transfer portal midseason, we saw uh, a couple of guys do it last year, that this year, uh, that, that this could be the week this year where we see those guys enter the transfer portal. So if any of that stuff happens, we'll have you covered on that front. And of course, over on the basketball side of things, Josh has he covered. The team started practice yesterday. He got an article up about that. Tonight, of course, the schedule uh, came out in full, the conference schedule. Uh, so now that schedule is officially complete. He has an article up about that, and he'll be covering everything leading up to the season as things are really going to pick up steam on the basketball side of things here over the next couple of weeks. So that's going to wrap it up once again for this edition of the podcast. I want to thank you guys for watching and listening. I want to thank Josh for hosting with me. And as always, go Tories. Thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.